Good morning, One Chapel. I'm so glad you've come to worship with us this morning. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. If you have it on your device, turn on your Bible and let's look to the scriptures together. We're starting out this morning. We're going to jump right into it with John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. And these are the words of Jesus himself. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Profound idea that Jesus is preparing a place and he's talking to his disciples. He says, I want you to come and be with me. Verse three says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. At this, Thomas, you remember Maybe doubting Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now on the surface, this idea of the Jesus way may sound cool to you, right? Like a, like a WWJD bracelet or something, right? If remember when those were cool, right? Well, as we're going to see in the next several weeks, this is going to be a little bit more pointed as we launch into this series called The Jesus Way. And I'm, I'm very aware that I may knock over some sacred cows uh, that we have together in our church. But here's what I want to tell you. I'm willing to go for some spiritual cow tipping. Let's go. Let's go. I want you to come with me. I want us to move forward in our season that we're in. And uh, there's a couple of reasons why we're doing this series. And the first one is the whole world's been wrestling with this pandemic. And for the first time in our lives, most of our worlds have been turned upside down and our spiritual lives have been turned upside down as well. I mean, this has been difficult. But what I want to, what I want to ask you is, could it could it be that there's a reset that God is trying to do in our lives? Could it be there's a reset that's happening now? Could it be that th this wasn't just an interruption and now we're going to go back to what we knew before, but this is actually a disruption of the way things were so that something new could take its place? This is what I want you to think about and what I want you to ask yourself as we go through this series called The Jesus Way. Our team's been going through this the last few months and asking ourselves, what, who are we as a church? What are we going to do? What is God trying to do in us? And I have a suspicion that in the brilliant words of Yoda, <laughs> that we have to unlearn what we have learned. That you and I have lots of stuff that we have been practicing and and, and into in our church life and maybe our church culture, maybe our own faith. We've, we've, we have to unlearn these things. You have to unlearn what you have learned in order to move forward. And so I want to talk about these ways in which we've been functioning and the ways we've embraced of doing church. Because the second reason we're doing this series is that, that the consumerism and politics of our culture have been such a forceful, forceful uh, issue to all of our, in all of our lives that it's, it started to shape the church. 
It started to shape our interactions. The church is being shaped, if you will, by maybe the American way instead of by the Jesus way. Jesus said in John 8, 31 through 32, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We love to quote that part of the verse, but what is so important is that little phrase, hold to. Those words, hold to, mean to continue, to submit, to abide in, to let your mental, physical, and spiritual life be governed by and to remain in Jesus' teachings, teachings, becoming steadfast in the faith. This is what we're called to. It's only when you hold to His teachings that you can be set free. And this is why it's so important what Jesus said in John 14, 6, when He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. But I want you to notice that there are three active parts in this verse. As you look at it, I want you to notice that there is the way and there is the truth and there is the life. And if we're really going to be honest, I think most of us tend to give more attention to the truth of Jesus and maybe the life of Jesus than we do the ways of Jesus. And I think the major reason for this is because the truth of Jesus and the life of Jesus have great benefits for us. Like we want that, but the ways of Jesus, well, that forces us to have to ask the question, what is the Jesus way? What is the Jesus way? And ultimately, if I look to the Jesus way, then the chances are I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to give up some of my ways and I'm going to have to give up other people's ways. And I'm going to give up some of our cultural, our current cultural ways of acting and behaving in order to follow the ways of Jesus. And so in this series, we're going to have a conversation on the ways, all the ways that Jesus is the way. And how we go about following Jesus, how important it is that we understand that. Because it's not enough to understand that Jesus is the way to the Father if you don't know what that way looks like. Now to start with, when you think about the ways of Jesus... Jesus goes about loving and saving the world. When you think about the way he does that, Jesus' ways are personal. They are personal. There's nothing disembodied about it. There's nothing abstract about what he does. There's nothing impersonal or anonymous about it. The ways of Jesus in the scripture are described with words like, Incarnate, flesh and blood, relational, particular, a particular place, sacrificial, local. Jesus went to places on purpose to meet the people who lived in those places. This describes the ways and the means that Jesus engaged the work of the kingdom. But if you look at the ways that are typically employed in our American culture, what you will find is something different. These ways are conspicuously impersonal. The American way has a lot of programming and a lot of organizations, techniques that we can utilize, general guidelines to work within, information 
that's detached from place, maybe numbers over names and ideologies that start to crowd out the ideas. That's the culture we're living in. The gray abstraction of absorbs the sharp, tangible particulars of a recognizable face or a, 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 a familiar place that we need to go or to be. So my concern when it comes to the Jesus way is that many of us who see ourselves as Jesus followers without hesitation, apparently without thinking, have embraced the ways of our culture over the ways of Jesus. Look, here's what I want to say to you right up front here. Jesus is an alternative to the dominant ways of the world. He's not a supplement to them. He's an alternative to the ways of the world. And we've been called to follow him and to leave the ways of our world behind. And I will admit there's some tension here about knowing the culture in which you live and being able to speak their language. I get that. But listen, we got to get down to it that we're not just adding Jesus to our plate. That we haven't Americanized our Christianity to such a degree that Jesus wouldn't recognize us. Can't use impersonal ways to do or say a, a personal thing because the gospel is personal or it's nothing. And that's why arguing, listen, that's why arguing about race or politics or religion on social media is so futile. It doesn't work because it's so personal. It's so meaningful. And look, I know, I know that Facebook has a lot of likes and a lot of friends, but it is an impersonal platform at the end of the day to discuss sensitive subjects. It doesn't accomplish the purpose of the kingdom in people's lives so often because we just... We, we try to use this impersonal platform to talk about our very personal faith. And sometimes we've got to see how that doesn't work. Instead of the protective privacy of friendship, these personal subjects are often thrown out there, publicly paraded in front of a voyeuristic assembly of, of acquaintances at best and strangers at worst. And then these strangers jump into the battlefield and they start arguing and it's a free-for-all and they're angry and they, everybody uses shocking statistics to make their point and we lose. We lose it as a, as a place because, see, you and I are called to personal solutions and to relational healing. That's how the kingdom of God works. And I want you to see that in this matter of ways, how of following Jesus is everything. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. This is the story that Jesus tells of what's going to happen at the end of all things and how there's going to be some decisions made. He says in verse 31 of chapter 25 in Matthew, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me, to me, he says. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Now, I'm not sure about how these verses strike you, but to me, they they kind of freak me out. (laughs) It kind of strikes the fear of God inside of me. And I think that's appropriate because first, both of these groups of people thought they were following Jesus. Think about that. Both of these groups of people The sheep and the goats thought they were following Jesus, but yet Jesus clearly makes a distinction between the two groups. Secondly, the difference in these two groups of people was all in the ways that they followed Jesus. The distinction, the difference in how they followed Jesus was the difference between eternal life and eternal punishment. Listen, friends. The power of deception is that you don't realize that you're being deceived. You are lulled into some kind of deception. Ways and means permeate everything that we are. Ways and means permeate everything that we do. And that's why none of the ways and means of Jesus can be compartmentalized into functions or isolated as concepts apart from how we act actually live. The Jesus way has to permeate everything we do. Everything we are. So the question I want you to be thinking about as we go through this series is, do the ways in which I live my life derive from the world? From the flesh? From the devil? Of which we've been well warned for such a long time? Or do the ways in which I live my life serve life in the kingdom of God and contribute to following Jesus as a disciple in a lifelong apprenticeship 
Now, before you can really understand how to answer that question, you've got to understand how complex this is, the complexity of all of it, because the, the reality is that your ways and the ways of following Jesus may have become diluted by the ways we do things as Americans. Jacques Maritain, in his book, Freedom in the Modern World, he called on all of us who have taken up membership in the Christian community to be vigilant and active in what he called, what he described as the purification of means, the purification of the way we do things. He said, this is urgent work about which we should not procrastinate if we are to follow Jesus in the freedom where he leads us and if we are not to end up as slaves of a de-souled culture. Listen, friends, whether you realize it or not, the culture in which we live has been and continues to be shaped and, and it has texture and color for how you follow Jesus. And so you, to take a person trained in the ways and means of this world and then place that person into the worshiping, evangelizing, witnessing, reconciling, peacemaking, justice, advocating people of God, like you take a person, you put them into that group of people when that happens, sometimes it's equivalent to putting one of my teenage sons whose sole qualifications for driving a vehicle, right, consists of a fascination with speed, uh, ability to step on the accelerator, uh, and expertise in operating the radio. You take one of my boys my one of my teenage boys, and they're fascinated by driving. They love it. I've got a 15-year-old right now who really wants to drive. You take them, and they don't know how to drive. You put them in a Formula One Ferrari. Sure, they can drive it, but you know what's going to happen? They're going to be all over the place. They're, they're going to be all over the road. They're going to go too fast. They're going to be consumed by the thrill of it. They'll be likely crash into someone and endanger others on the road for so many of us now i want you to see it that's what has happened with our spiritual lives because we've just taken the ways and means of jesus the the, the ways of uh means of our american culture i mean and intentionally or even unintentionally and we've superimposed them into the ways in which we follow jesus we've taken our american culture and put it into a jesus format. Unfortunately, this is where I think the American church has failed so many of us because the local Christian church in your neighborhood is the primary location for getting this way and truth and life into us. The local gathering, the place where your spiritual life comes alive, the place where you gather with other believers and it becomes personal because you know people. It becomes real and authentic. That's why the local congregation is the primary place of community. It's the primary place of community for, for listening and for obeying Jesus' commands. It's the primary place for inviting people to consider and respond to the invitation of Jesus to follow Him. It is the place for worshiping God, a place where we're baptized into the family of God, where we go on to maturity, where we can are taught the scriptures and we learn and grow. We discern the ways of Jesus. That all happens in this community. 
It's the place where we deal with hard questions and difficult people and learn the ways of Jesus. However, I think unknowingly, so many of us have embraced the American way. Maybe not intentionally, maybe unknowingly, but it's seeped into most of our local churches. And at the top of that American way of doing things is a strategy that tends not to be very friendly to the local or the personal. The American way with its it's penchant for uh, catchy slogans and phrases and, and stirring visions tends to denigrate the, the mundane of the local. Sometimes the American way with its programmatic ways of dealing with people tends to erode the personal, replacing intimacy with function and events. And unfortunately, the American church at its present as it is constructed right now, has been conspicuous for replacing the way of Jesus with the way of our own culture, replacing the Jesus way with the American way, which means for Christians who are serious about following Jesus, serious about the Jesus way, this deconstruction of the Christian congregation is particularly troubling, distressing. It's a looming distraction as we look at the, the way that we've functioned as a church over the last many years. And so in order to start exposing all these ways that we've added into our following Jesus, I think we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back and, and relearn. We have to unlearn some things and we have to learn what God is doing with us. So let's step back for a moment and look at what the local church is supposed to be. Not just the American church, but the biblical local church as described by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 17. It's a long passage, but I want you to listen to it. Lean in here. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in, God's, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then he goes on, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ... Though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Verse 9, check it out. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Wow. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, 
faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. When you look at this scripture, you discover what a congregation of Jesus followers looks like. You discover what a Christian congregation looks like. It's a company of praying people who gather together locally with their variety of God-given spiritual gifts and they come together for worship and for community and for spiritual growth and then they go into the world to be salt and light. Now please, church, don't let this, these words go in one ear and out the other. Because you have to understand the simplicity of the Jesus way when it comes to, to church is that we come together for in order to go out and do. That there's something really important about our gathering and what's so significant is not just what we do there, but what we're sent out then to do beyond our place of worship. A Christian congregation, a community of Jesus followers where the Holy Spirit calls and forms His people. God means to do something with us and he's, He has a purpose. He means to do it in community. He does it with us, not individually, but together. And we are in on what God's doing. He's collaborating with us. The, the operating, and this, this is what's so significant about this, because the operating biblical metaphor regarding worship is sacrifice. Across the scriptures, we see it over and over again. The picture of worship is painted in sacrifice. Our very communion, holy communion, when we come together at the Lord's table, is a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. A Eucharistic Life is what God's calling us to, a, a, a life that patterns our lives after Jesus as we come to the table together. This is the Jesus way, but the reality is that's not the American way. The great, the great American innovation in congregations is to turn into consumer American enterprise, a consumeristic idea. We, we Americans, we have... We have developed a culture of acquisition, an economy that is dependent on wanting more and, and requiring more. And we have this huge advertising and marketing industry that designed to stir up appetites in us that we don't even know are there yet. We are insatiable. And as a result, Intentionally or unintentionally, as followers of Jesus, we've gone along with our American culture and developed consumer congregations. And since our American culture is a culture of consumers, the quickest and most effective way to point people to a congregation or a church, the best way to get them into the congregation is to identify what they want and offer it to them to satisfy their dreams 
to promise them the moon, to recast the gospel in consumer terms. What would those terms be? Things like entertainment, satisfaction, excitement, adventure, problem solving. There it is. Show me how to get it done. Give me the three steps to fix stuff. That's what I need. This is the language we've grown up in. The language we understand. As Americans, we are the world's champion consumers. So why shouldn't we have state-of-the-art consumer churches? And listen, here's the thing, One Chapel. Prior to COVID-19, these consumer-based conditions that prevailed in our churches and in our church and in our culture, they caused most of us who are leaders within the church to focus on consumer-driven goods and services, spiritual products in order to grow our churches. And, but all of a sudden with this COVID-19 pandemic, what happened to us with most American churches having to close its physical doors and move everything online, one of the byproducts has been this question. Here we are trying to gather online. It begs the question, what and who is the church? when it can't meet in person? Or a more personal question is, who am I? And what do I do when my Christianity is no longer connected to coming to a physical church on Sundays? Listen, that's the question that you and I have had to wrestle with. And even now, as, the, as church doors start opening up, as we start to gather again, as we start to move forward in this season, do we go back to the way things were? The way we used to do things? This is the question that every business, every school, every sport is now having to face. But I, I have to wonder if churches are being the most resistant to this question. Because what happens if we, never, we can never sing again together when we are indoors? Well, what would we do? Is our faith and spirituality and our understanding of the presence of God dependent on the music? Is our faith and spirituality dependent upon someone else leading me into the presence of God? What happens if we no longer have preaching within our churches? God forbid. Is our faith and spirituality dependent on somebody else feeding us? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, very often we prefer to just get something from somebody to be spoon-fed. We, we, we like somebody providing us with the goods and services of our faith. And, and we tend to think it better be served up really good. It ought to have a lot of sparkle and shine that I'm used to in my, in my other normal life. You see the problem. You see the problem is we've just taken the culture of America and put it into our churches. And we need to be so careful. Please listen, everybody. Even though this has been the norm for a hundred years in our churches and and. And even though in, in some ways I'm the first to admit I like things to be good and I like them to be excellent, this is what I prefer, but we need to be careful here. We are at a crossroads in our, in our church, in our country, in the body of Christ, and how we're going to move forward. This is not the way in which God brings us into conformity with the life of Jesus and sets the way of salvation. This is not the way in which we become less and 
Jesus becomes more. This is not the way in which our sacrificial lives become available to others in justice and service. Because the reality is the cultivation of consumer spirituality is the antithesis of sacrificial deny-yourself congregations. Listen, remember the words of Jesus himself in Luke 9, 23. He said, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And so could it be that, could it be that consumer Christianity or consumer church is actually an antichrist faith, an antichrist reality? Listen, everybody, we can't gather a God-fearing, God-worshipping congregation by cultivating consumer-pleasing and commodity-oriented church. We can't suppress the Jesus way in order to sell the Jesus truth. The Jesus way and the Jesus truth must go together. And it's only when the Jesus way, check this out, it's only when the Jesus way is organically joined with the Jesus truth that we get the Jesus life. In the next several weeks, we're going to go looking into this subject and this idea. It's, it's, it's affecting our lives. We, we have to look in a profound way to the, the way we're practicing our faith. And I want you to join me in this journey. Don't resist. Don't, re, don't react. Don't, don't feel as though you're, you're being um, attacked or there's some kind of thing po- being pointed out to you. I'm certainly not doing it in that spirit, but I'm, I'm asking myself these hard questions, and I want you to join me in asking the hard questions for your life, for your family. How do we move forward with a period of self-reflection? I want you to, to join me in, instead of, instead of kind of pushing forward to something that you're trying to get back to normal. Would you be willing to in humility and repentance be open to something new that God is doing. I want to say this confession and prayer with you together. So if you're there, wherever you are, whether you're at home in your living room or in the kitchen or maybe you're in your car or you're somewhere, and, it, and, and I want you to say this with me, and we're going to pray and we're going to confess that we have nothing to offer here, that we need Jesus to do what only He can do in our lives. Come on, I want you to say this with me. Say it right after me. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death and Satan himself. I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe that Jesus is the truth. And I believe that Jesus is the life. And no one can come to the Father except through Him. Come on, let's pray together. And so, God, we just come to You right now. And we pray together. Each of us, we realize that we cannot be good enough for you. We realize that we're, we are separated from you by our sinfulness. And so you, you're coming right now and you're saying to us individually that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And that, that, that we, we come to the Father only through you. And so, Lord, teach us what that looks like. 
Teach us what it looks like to live in the ways of Jesus. So today, I choose you, Jesus. We choose you. I let go of all the other ways of trying to get to you. I want the gift of eternal life that you have for me, and I want the way in which you live in the kingdom of God to come alive in me. I'm calling on the name of Jesus in this season. And Lord, I ask you to help us as a church. I ask you to help each of us individually. I ask you to help me to see the error of our ways to see the mistakes that we may have made. And I want you to, to, to work in us deeply the ways and means of the life of Jesus. Help me hold on to the teachings of Jesus. Help me to live out the teachings of Jesus so that I can, I can know you, so that you can know me, and so that I can pour your love and life into this world so that I can collaborate with you to accomplish your purpose and bring your kingdom to earth. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for speaking to us now. Lead us on in Jesus' name. Amen.